Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let's Hear Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us. So let's get on to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again. We're so pleased to have you join us for another edition of Let's Hear It. You've found us. You've made it. You're here. We're so glad to welcome you. And Mr. Brown, as always, I'm so glad to welcome you for another excellent edition and for all of the great work that you've done for us on our behalf this week. How's it going? If if it's going well, if if this if this podcasting stuff doesn't work out, there's a wonderful job for you at the door at Walmart. <laughs> you are an exquisite greeter. Hey, this is worthy of being well greeted or whatever or well received. This is this is great stuff. And and I learned this week that we have another listener to let's hear it. And this is one of those ones where if only this person, if only the person we're about to hear from this week listens to this podcast, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives because it's so gratifying to know that she's listened and she enjoys it. So tell us, set this up. What do we got ahead for us this week? Because this is awesome. Valerie Good, Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the San Francisco Foundation. We do this show for you. (laughs) And we... I was so thrilled that you were interested in coming on and talking about your work because it is really great work what you're doing. So that's what we have. We have Valerie Good, who she's a, a, a terrific person. She's really fun. Mm. And I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. The work that she is doing at the San Francisco Foundation, which is promoting racial equity and economic inclusion, is some of the most important work that anybody can do anywhere and she is doing it with grace and style and humor and i very much enjoyed spending time with her from a very from an undisclosed location that our <laughs> listeners will learn about shortly you got to listen for that i almost led with that but i chose not to so this is uh valerie good the vice president for marketing and communications at the san francisco foundation having just uh, gone through the one year mark in the role yep. right she, she had, i think it was april 13th ah well worth the listen this is valerie good on let's hear it we'll listen and then we'll come back welcome to let's hear it my guest today is i'm so excited my guest today is Valerie Good. She is the Vice President for Marketing and Communications at the San Francisco Foundation. And oh my goodness, we're going to have some fun, Valerie. Thank you so much for being a guest on Let's Hear It. Eric, I can't believe it because you know I've been your biggest fan and your <laughs> podcast has been a beacon to me. A beacon, you say? It, it was speaking to me even before... I entered into philanthropy and your guests were calling me. They called you in. They were calling me in through their interviews with you. So all hours of the night, they called you all, all hours because (laughs) you don't know this, but I, prior to speaking with you as part of my interview session with uh, the San Francisco foundation, I was like, I have to listen to every single podcast that he did so that I'm prepared for this interview. <laughs> so there you have it. There so ask me anything about this podcast. I will be able to bring up a little like bits and nuggets of it. Uh, but it certainly was a, a good, good time spent. And I learned quite a bit um, about your guests and um, how humorous you are um, <laughs> as part of that exercise. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction, Val. <laughs> you are very welcome. I like my guests to introduce me. Uh, f- okay, for the record, we're speaking on Zoom here, and I am sitting in my mother's closet. This, this is true. <laughs> this is true. I'm sitting in my mother's closet. Her shoes are right behind me on the wall. I'm visiting her. It's her birthday. Even though I don't think she listens to the podcast, I won't say how old she is, but she's getting there. She is, she is, she is moving north 
but she's great, hale and hearty, and I came out for her birthday now that we're both vaccinated and, you know, cool. So, I, and, and so I don't have my normal fabulous studio in, in Bernal Heights. Instead, I am sitting in her closet. So. Leave it to this episode where you're going to have a conversation with me and you're going to be sitting. I don't even know what you're sitting on because it seems like you're very low in this low. closet. <laughs> I'm, low. I'm lower than usual. <laughs> You're you're kind of like really low in the closet, and it is a very interesting visual. So. Yeah, and don't be distracted by the Jimmy Choo's on the wall behind. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> work of art. Love it. <laughs> All right, so Valerie, good. Uh, there's much to talk about, but first, I would like to. I have more things that I need to know about you that I don't know. I, mm. I know you're from the East Coast. I know, and I. I learned a few things as I was trolling the interwebs, but where'd you grow up? What'd you do? How, how, how have we gotten so lucky? What what were the, the, all the wonderful things that happened to you along the way that led you to this fabulous place at at San Francisco foundation? Well, I don't think we have enough time to just go into all of those, but I will let you know that I am, uh, I hail from the state of Maine and that I was born and raised in what we call South Central Maine, <laughs> in, a, in a town called Lewiston, made famous by Muhammad Ali having a fight there. Uh, also, Bates College resides there. So um, I am one of very few people of color that grew up in the area that I grew up uh, and um, appreciate all of the beauty that comes out of Maine, but uh, have had a personal, I guess, personal conflicts with the experiences that I've had being who I am and how I look in places where people are, you know, all, all different than, than I am. So um, I appreciate that experience because it's, I think, made me very resilient. And I think it's led me to the work that I'm, that I'm doing today. And so I have a deep love of the Northeast and all its complexities including my birth state. Um, but as you can see, I did not stay there. Uh, and, and I, and I think, you know, would I ever return? And I, and you know, that that's a question I think I'll keep on asking myself, but, um, at this point I'm enjoying, uh, what I'm learning on the, on the West coast and, um, have found this to be a perfect place for me, especially during the time we find ourselves where I, I've, got to terming it, I guess, the racial reckoning that is happening, you know, across the nation and feel really, really good about being here while I am really reflecting on a lot of that formative experience and really kind of making meaning of it through my work and making meaning of it personally. You started, you started as a reporter, didn't you, after college? Oh, yes, I did. I surely did. Uh, yes. So those, uh, I went to Northeastern University uh, on the East Coast, that's in Boston, uh, and it is um, a co-op school. So I don't know if you know what that means, but that essentially is for people like myself who prefer to have experience in their major and um, really need that break from the academia of it all. Uh, and I found myself with an opportunity to work at the Boston Globe while I was a student and went on to journalism through that experience. And so it is true, I used to be a journalist. I covered crime. I worked at the Syracuse newspapers in upstate New York. And through that experience, which I, I would term traumatic just because when you cover crime, it is, you know, <laughs> crisis after crisis and really having to find a spiritual grounding to be able to interview people who've lost their loved one, you know, I mean, just required a tremendous amount of emotional stability that I found not sustainable. <laughs> so, so I, so I gave up my journalism career um, and moved into um, health communications actually from there. But yes, journalism, it does. Um, that is how I was groomed as a, you know, undergrad. And it is the roots that I kind of return to uh, when I think about my um, professional development. I love 
journalists in our field. Well, fifth, half of them do great. The other half don't. But half of them do great because they, they are right on deadline. They can get to the point. They can figure things out quickly. And they can gen- they can become generalists where they can learn really fast about stuff. And, and Yeah, they're gamers. They're gamers, exactly. I, I love a journalist because they, they, you know how to thrive, right? Like get in there. You got to get the job done. Um, we're a little rude. Uh, really smart. <laughs> Smoke cigars, you know. In all the good ways. In all the good ways. Keep a bottle of hooch <laughs> in the desk. Exactly. <laughs> that's, 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 you got to maintain. You got to maintain. Yeah, no judgment here. No shame in it. <laughs> it's glory. Um, yeah. And did I, did I read that you worked for the governor of Massachusetts and you were in charge of, in charge of background checks? Oh, my God. Absolutely <laughs> true story. Um, yeah. I don't know how they thought I was even mature enough <laughs> to handle that that job but yeah my gig was I would go to the FBI I would go to uh, the state police IRS and basically investigate anyone who was going to take up a board of commission for the Massachusetts uh, state governor and then I would go to the governor and I would say no or yes <laughs> uh, based on based on my research it was very interesting uh, and and I learned a lot. <laughs> I bet you did. You must. Have... I have a lot of information. That, Can take some um... secrets to the grave, are we? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But there. You know. I. I. I followed the code. I. I. I do not speak of that. But there are a lot of people who I that would make you go, hmm, <laughs> uh-huh. as as it relates to their taxes and their criminal records. So I guess that tells you that, you know, a little bump in your your police record uh, may not stop you <laughs> from doing much. You, uh, uh, you haven't done a background check on me, have you? No, oh, I okay. no, I gave that up. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was fun for a little while, but it's not it's not strategic work that I that I love to do. And so while it was good for a time, it did not last that long. And then you went to the then you did comms in the governor's office, right? I didn't. I did. um, I I, well, here's the story. (laughs) Jane Swift was the governor when I worked um, as the director of background checks. Mitt Romney came in to replace her. Uh. And his transition team came in and, you know, this is from my own perspective. So I don't know if this is like the official record, but um, there were folks who were looking at us folks of color, whether they should stay or they should go. Um, And based on my interactions, I decided I needed to go. (laughs) So from there, I found um, a job with the Massachusetts Department of Public Health and began my um, my my stint, I guess, in health communications, where I started as a health communication specialist under the Diabetes Prevention and Control Program. And then you then you went to Gallup, which yes. I I love I love research I love survey research I love probability and statistics. It was the one math class I got an A in, uh, and I love all that stuff. And I think that it's so cool that you have this great background as you know, doing journalism and then working in health communications and then kind of getting a sense of how do you put your finger on the pulse of something how are you pulling all of that together even today how are you pulling and and one of the things is for folks who are listening people come into this job from a million paths and no two paths are the same My, mine is also you know weird but Yours isn't weird. It's just smart and good. Oh, it's weird. But everybody brings stuff together in in different ways. How how have you taken all of these components of your career and pulled them to this moment where you're doing um, and, and I'm not just saying this amazing work. So, well, thank you. Yeah, Let's start with the amazing part. That's um, <laughs> no, but you are Eric. That's we'll a we'll talk about question. that in a second. We'll talk about your amazing work in the second half. But, oh, but okay, the, good, good. All right. But, sure it gets out there yes yeah, so, so, uh, don't worry and then uh, we'll put out a press release but yeah tell, yeah tell me about synthesizing yeah no you know I think that that is a really great question Eric because I find myself intentionally asking the question how am I you know evolving from what I have done previously how where are the places where I forgot something that I've already learned um, and I find that when I think back to my experiences at Gallup that's always happening. I'm always like, oh my goodness, I did that at Gallup. 
why didn't I think about that when I embarked on it, you know, for the third time, you know, this time, but I, I, I feel like it is a culmination, right? So the work ethic that I may have learned as a journalist, the, the grit, thinking about, is this really the story? What is the real question? Those things have, have stuck with me. And it, it, it doesn't matter whether it was through background checks, what's the right question here? I mean, those, those kind of foundational teachings that I got as a journalist, they're, they're continually there. And then these experiences that I've had as a director of background checks, forming relationships with people, is this state police officer going to give me the information that I need to hear right now? And in my role right now, am I having the right conversation with someone? Am I setting the right environment to allow them to feel safe to say the things that they need to say to me, which I learned as a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. So as a journalist, you are taught how to create safety, get people to trust you. And, you know, the great ones can do it in a moment, right? Some of us, it takes you know, three or four emails, and then maybe three meetings, and then it's the story. Uh, but but you get what I'm saying. It's like a lot of those things have carried forth. And even things like, I would say the biggest thing that Gallup has taught me is part of beyond their poll work, they do a lot around uh, employee engagement. And they taught me a lot around the fact that as a manager, so as I've grown in my career, I've had more and more people who uh, report up to me, who are looking for my leadership, it, at Gallup, it was very clear they had a very strong point of view around people work for people. People have different strengths. How can you get them to amplify those strengths and feel really connected to the work and the way that they interact with it? And so there are different kind of nuggets of information that I find myself always defaulting to. And then there are places where I have to challenge myself to think back Oh my goodness! I I did I did a um, focus group series at Gallup, and why didn't I think about you know this this thing that I was taught? So there are there are many many things that kind of come to mind, um, and I do try to evolve um, you know my experiences so that I get smarter, that I'm learning more, but I also want to remember what I've already learned, right? That I, that there are things there that are at in default. Um, due to the experiences that I've had previously. So I, I love that question. And I feel like it's a question we all should be asking ourselves because it's really easy to forget some of the things that you've done. You know, like I, I literally had that thought, I think even last week where someone was asking me to do something and I was thinking of it as I'd never done it before. And I was like, what am I talking about? Of course I've done this. <laughs> Let's go back and, and you know, and call on those experiences. And so I, cause I think it's really important. I feel like people myself need to feel like things are demystified, right? Like I, it is really overwhelming to always feel like there's, this is a pioneering effort. Um, and so when I think about where I've actually been, it helps me to take on bigger projects and to feel grounded um, when I'm doing them. Well, philanthropy is like nothing else in the world it's the i don't know the push me pull you or the weird animal that doesn't exist in nature except in its own special world and after the break i want to talk about how you've taken all those things and applied them to the to your work at the san francisco foundation working for a, not only just a foundation but a community foundation which is a totally different animal than other entities uh, and then i want to talk about the, the work you're doing right now and how you are how you are helping to bring the community together in a really, really challenging time. So after this break, we'll be back with Valerie Good, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the San Francisco Foundation. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is sponsored by the Communications Network, which connects, gathers, and informs the field of leaders working in communications for good. Because foundations and nonprofits that communicate well are stronger, smarter, and vastly more effective. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Hear It. My guest is Valerie Good, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the San Francisco Foundation. And as I said before the break, you are you're doing amazing work, and you have been now in the job for a, a year. Congratulations! I think you just one hit, year hit your anniversary last month, uh, or this month. 
And, this month. Uh, I'm sure this was exactly what you expected when you showed up for, oh, wait a minute, you never got to show up for work at the San Francisco <laughs> Foundation. <laughs> what has this year been like for you? Uh, it has been um, a year of exploration and learning and operating in ambiguity. <laughs> that's, what, that's what this year has been, because you're absolutely right. I have um, stepped foot once into the San Francisco Foundation uh, offices. Um, I have challenged folks who actually still go into the office for um, business to show me around with their with their laptop. So I've asked actually <laughs> Catherine Key to walk through. I said, oh, that's where people eat. Okay, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's been uh, a, an interesting exercise in just letting go because there is really, I don't have any there there really <laughs> when right. it comes to some, some of the things that you would uh, have to learn in a new job. Like how much time does it take to get to work? And uh, what is the culture like? And, you know, is it serious? Are they quiet there? I have no idea. So um, I that will, I guess, keep me in perpetual new new employee status until we uh, all embark into um, some new normal that would be, uh, you know, in person uh, and having proximity to other people while we do our work. So it, it's been a very interesting transition. and I And I actually feel fortunate because it has allowed me to um, organize my day in a way that is really natural to me. And I don't have to care about how, uh, you know, the day carries itself uh, when other people, you know, make their, their needs known. Um, I have, you know, just like everyone else, tried to battle the Zoom fatigue and, and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I count myself very fortunate that I've been able to be employed, to, to have um, a safe space to learn a new field. And I am still at the very, you know, I still feel like there's just so much for me to learn because what I understand is that there's so much um, around relationships. And I find it very challenging to develop those kinds of relationships that I think are key to actually moving work forward um, especially when you're talking about a community foundation and having that connection to uh, the community, the people, uh, and I felt really stifled in in the in ways that I would reach out and um, you know make my presence known and learn. Uh, and so, in in those ways, you know, I do feel like I, you know I, I I'm really excited to try to get back to some um, semblance of what I remember. Uh, but I, but I do feel very fortunate and the, you know, uh, to, to just be part of the San Francisco foundation and to have had a mentor like you, who's kind of opened up some of the world to me. Cause, um, if anyone on this, uh, listening to this podcast right now doesn't know, Eric knows everybody, everyone <laughs> in philanthropy, uh, Eric's like, yeah, no, let me just call them up. I'm like, <laughs> So I, uh, I so appreciate the fact that um, you are who you are, and that you've really helped me to um, have a deeper understanding of the work, um, you know, through through projects like our annual report, uh, but also to understand that people and relationships are really a, a big part of how things and 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 you know, kind of power moves through, through this industry. So um, that's what it's been like so far. Uh, and I look forward, I don't know if I told you this, but I um, am going to be part of uh, Career Pathways, National Council on Foundations has a Career Pathways program. I am super psyched to be part of it. Very cool. Because I'm like, I'm going to learn more about philanthropy. And I will understand more of the nuances between community foundations, private foundations, and all the other foundation foundations <laughs> that are part of that ecosystem. And I couldn't be, you know, more excited about that and to meet people. Um, so, yeah, so I'll have to tell you more about that That's in maybe cool. another podcast. Also, this year has been kind of busy. Things have happened in the last year. And, oh. and I mean, who, who knew? 
of course, that COVID would last as long as it would, that we would, as you said before, in the, before the break, uh, be experiencing a, re- a reckoning on, on race, on and race plus, I think. I don't know what that actually means, but but it's 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 race, but it's a it's also more than that, and that as a community foundation, being in the center of so many of those conversations, obviously Fred Blackwell's voice has been phenomenally important, and I know that you and he have worked really closely in the last year, and helping to just kind of keep everybody from I don't know spinning out. And having to hold that feels like it must be a real challenge. And, it, you know, and you, you're a black woman in, in, responding to anti-black racism and dealing with everything that we are dealing with. How have you managed to, I don't know, do you compartmentalize? How do you do this? This is that's a very long-winded question. Saying, how do you do what you do, who, given who you are and, and given what you do? I got to say that I, the answer that would be the most authentic is I don't know. Huh. You know, I don't know. Um, I can tell you that this year has been heavy in ways that I cannot articulate. Um, it has forced myself, um, Fred, all of the all of the people of color that are part of our organization to do really deep personal work where I think in my previous versions of myself have been expert at um, compartmentalizing, have had to really reckon with these things at work, have had to address things and talk about you know, the systems of oppression that have been there the whole time that, you know, that I've ignored so that I could do what I need to do every day. It has been a tremendous burden um, in terms of my emotional stamina. You know, we I've worked with Fred on several blogs where sometimes we're just like, we can't, we can't do this. <laughs> like, it, it it's just a tremendous amount of sadness and just to to accept reality um sometimes is really 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 challenging to watch a a, a man be uh murdered uh, hear about a woman sleeping and she's murdered i mean there's just so many examples and they feel relentless eric they feel relentless it is it is over and over that we're having to relive some of this and and it's like a cut being scratched open every time. Um, But through that, I feel like the community foundation really feels rooted in our mission around advancing racial equity and economic inclusion. And with that, I think we have felt a tremendous amount of responsibility to, to be in community to be out there to have our point of view um, be noticed and for for some folks who know about the San Francisco Foundation we've had our North Star racial equity economic inclusion since 2016 and so we've been talking about this previously in an environment where some folks didn't really want to address it you know it was it was it was I think it was harder to get noticed in a, in the previous environment. Now, racial equity is at the forefront. It is the new thing where everybody is talking about racial equity and they're looking to organizations like mine to, you know, either get a sense of what are some of the things that we can do? Um, you know, they are looking to us as a thought leader. And I think that only adds an extra element of complexity as we talk about really personal events that we are seeing on a day-to-day basis, it feels like. And so, you know, I don't know how we do it, Eric. I really don't know where it is. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I hold myself to the fire around what it is, I think it's a real deep commitment to our North Star that allows us to, to fight for um, the voice and to fight for being part of the conversation that we feel like is changing 
the world. You know, I, you know, there's all these debates. Is this a revolution? Is this not a revolution? You know, I, for one, am, I'm hoping this is a revolution. And if it's a revolution, then what's my role mm -hmm. in the revolution? And how can I show up every day? And I might have bad days where I can't talk today. Uh, but, you know, if you look at the body of what I have been able to contribute, I have to ask myself, you know, wh what are you doing today? How, how can you be of, of service today? And I think that that, you know, I guess is the long answer to your, your question. Um, because, you know, I feel like we are in a historic time and I, and I become a little bit overwhelmed by the fact that we are in this really important time in history. And, and there's just so much pressure that comes with trying to make sure that we are forwarding the work in a way that is productive. Um, but I also feel like so energized by the fact that we are having this important conversation. And I know that we're going to make mistakes. And I'm all about making mistakes. I, I will be like, oops, <laughs> we need to change it. Uh, just because I feel like I can't be stifled by perfection. I can't, I have to, we have to try. So in, in my mind, um, that's the spirit I kind of bring with, bring with me. You know, sometimes I am even pulling some words out of Fred, like, no, I need you to tell me something about your personal life, you know, like I'm <laughs> pulling it out of him. Um, and, and, you know, he's like, is this really necessary? And I think, yes, you know, I, I think that in some ways we have to be uncomfortable to forward, forward the work. And yeah. And so that's the spirit with which we are moving forward with uh, San Francisco foundation. And, you know, there's plenty for us to learn. And we're talking about really important things like what, you know, how are we centering the work? How are we helping people within the organization to understand we've all been groomed in systems of oppression? There are plenty of times where I'm like, oh my goodness, I just had an aha moment that I have been <laughs> thinking that this is true, but this is not true. This is some other narrative that I have allowed to kind of metabolize in my body. And I need to now rid myself of that thinking. And it's challenging because I love a routine and I love a best plan, you know, like a blueprint and I like all of these things, but I have to, I have to remember to go back to ask myself, okay, why, why, you know, is this, is this the right thing? Um, and sometimes I get it right. And sometimes I don't, um, but I, you know, you got to kind of get back on the horse and keep, keep plodding forward. So. Well, I totally agree. We have been gaslighted into this is how things are done. This is what the state of the world is. This is reality for, well, I don't know, 400 years. And I do think that we're, we're getting somewhere. I mean, let, but as you say, and you make a really great point, is that you actually have to, you have to stay in it. I'm sure there are days, you know, I don't want to write about Dante Wright today. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I just want to I don't want to, I don't have to think about it but but there is this responsibility that you have clearly demonstrated that you take seriously that you, and Eric honestly I think that everybody in communications has this privilege yeah, yeah. that we are shapers of the narrative and if we are not actually realizing that that is within our power then that's a that's a real loss yeah. um because I do I I you know one of the reasons I am so passionate about communication is because it is what helps people. It, it, it helps people to know where resources are. It helps people to understand how, you know, how to see things or how not to see things. Um, and it is a, an awesome privilege to be able to create narrative that helps people to make meaning of whatever it is going on in their lives, no matter what aspect of communications you are a part of, but there is a tremendous power and privilege that that go along with writing or recording or you know whatever um communication modality you are a part of uh, and i take that very seriously and sometimes uh, i get it right and sometimes sometimes let's do it do that again let's <laughs> well, let's take that down from the website <laughs> <laughs> well i have to tell you at the risk of sounding like an obsequious fawning what fanboy uh, I have been really impressed with with how you've 
taken on this job. You do it with humor and grace and humility. And you did not come in with, you know, large daggers that you shoved into people. <laughs> like you didn't change all the bedtimes. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's really been, been great to, to see, you flourish in this role. It is not an easy job. You're going to make me cry, Eric. I It has the added benefit of truth. No crying. There's no crying on Let's Hear It, only laughing. Um, but no, it, it's true. I, I've learned so much from you about how to lead, and I've just really been impressed, and it's a privilege to be you know, in your circle, to be one of the people that I say, you should talk to Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's great and and congratulations what what where do you see this so now we're in a certain place in in our you know, all these things have happened we have the biden administration we have vaccinations we are now having a conver- a different kind of conversation on on race and equity and economic inclusion where do things where are we going in the short term I, you know who knows where we're going to go in the long term but where are we going today and tomorrow and the week after that well here's a very specific answer to your question. I think that is grander than the response I'm going to give you. Um, But the thing I'm grappling with right now is this idea of how to effectively communicate transformative solidarity, and we can talk about whatever that means, um, through centering Black and Indigenous community. So at the San Francisco Foundation, we're really talking about creating a principle of centering Black and Indigenous people in our work that then has a conversation about, well, what about BIPOC? What about the other people of color? And what what do I say? Um, And then our principle around transformative solidarity, which is basically that we all stand together, that, that every no matter what group you help, it actually helps to lift us all. And we wanna be part of that unified growth, right? Uh, And so for me, I think it's really around taking very deep rooted ways in which we have been conditioned to think about race, conditioned to think about um, different cultures and, and, and people and helping to communicate why centering black and indigenous people is an important piece to it because it actually helps to lift up the histories that have been really pushed aside, right? You can think what you think if you don't understand the root of global anti-blackness or global anti-indigeneity. So for me, it's these really meaty topics and helping to make them not just palatable, but, but to, de- like to metabolize through the bodies of people so that we can get to a different level. Because the truth is, is that we can't just talk about like Black Lives Matter and not address some of the root causes as to why we would even need a movement around Black lives, right? So that's, to me, the the next step is to really, so now we've uncovered things. We've had this reckoning, the the dust is all out there. How is it that we can then take those particles and help to create a new future where it is more just and we have more realistic ways of expression? And, and I, and, you know, I am, I get, I get exhausted by just thinking about how can we do that, but I feel really excited by different ways that I'm seeing people communicate um, through podcasts and through social media and art. And, um, and there's just been a real attention to healing. And I, I feel like I'd like to be able to kind of weave in some of of that healing into the narrative. And um, yeah, and so I, I, you know, so I'm just gonna begin where you begin, like eating a whale, you take one bite at a time <laughs> and try to get as we many- We have to eat whale. <laughs> <laughs> I eat whale. Um, it's, it's hypothetical whale. <laughs> yeah, it's not the- Vegan uh, whale. Right, yes. Um, 
but yeah, but it's, it, it feels really, um, ambitious and, and we're not the only organization kind of doing that. I feel like there's so many organizations who are out there on the front lines, really trying to make meaning of what's happening to support people who need that support. Um, and I feel like that's, we just move forward. We keep moving the North star forward. Um, and I think obviously narrative shift and um, ensuring that people have the information they need to make informed decisions is a huge part of that. And I take that, you know, very seriously. And so, you know, I do look forward to, to, to getting innovative, um, to, to, you know, trying to figure out in what ways can we provide, you know, collateral materials and, and things like that, uh, that are meeting the moment, you know? Um, so to me, that's calling all the smart people and seeing what they think. <laughs> and then, and then saying, oh yeah, great idea. And then using that idea. <laughs> well, I really appreciate, appreciate the way you have framed, framed that opportunity. I would call it. I, I, it makes a ton of sense and it really resonates with me. I, and I also just appreciate your time. It's so much fun to have an excuse to to talk to you and to, to kind of sort of hang out. And then next time we'll do it in a bar. Uh, oh, oh, you know what? I was going to tell you, I said, oh, remember this story? Because I know that you had done a podcast with someone in a bar and I'm like, and I get the closet. <laughs> yeah, do over. <laughs> You will get a part two and it will be in a bar and the drinks will be on me. Valerie Good, Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the San Francisco Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. And we're back. Oh, man. This is this is like multiple PhD dissertations. This is so many things happening at once. And this is, I have to say, I don't want to... Uh, delve into the hiring process for the San Francisco Foundation. You are clearly part of that. So that's a strategy for a really good and generous guest is invite people that you've helped be through their hiring processes. I can only imagine the kind of depth and breadth of just all the amazing folks that come forward for these roles. My question for you is when Valerie came into the room, did you simply ask, when can you start? Because that's the only <laughs> question. That's the only question that I would have had having heard her share her story. She was great. She brought this amazing breadth of experience but as you can hear a real just a joy and a light and an enthusiasm for this work and she was such a great choice i didn't pick her so i, I will not take the credit <laughs> wish i could yeah uh, this was fred blackwell's decision mm. but she has proved to be a really really terrific leader for that for that department and at that foundation which is you know a place that i care deeply about and I, you know, it was, it was a great conversation. I, I think she's great. I think she's great. And, and this, like I said, this work is so important that, that, and it's hard to do and it is challenging. I mean, it is personally challenging. And for, so that was a lot of what I, I hope that conversation brought out, but also kind of demonstrating that you can, you can do it. Well, let's go straight there because this was the famous 20 minute mark of the podcast, of the interview. It's literally always skip 20 minutes. Well, there's a lot of good stuff right up front. Can I actually say, you know, walking back to the beginning, I have one issue, one issue, which also tells me that, that Valerie, just one. That, that this Finally, is Kirk, stand up for your, tell me your issue. So the many reasons you know that Valerie is exactly who you want in this role, because she's interested in telling other people's stories more than telling her own, which just came out loud and clear in the conversation. She has yet to post a bio on the San Francisco <laughs> no, Foundation so website. Bad. It's coming soon. <laughs> and, you know, so soon is relative. Soon can be anytime. So I was actually so glad I, I was giving you props because I had seen that before I started listening. And so you walk us through her story of coming to this work. And once again, we see this journey people take starting, you know, being a, being a woman of color, a person of color, growing up in Maine. You know, so another one of those stories about man, you know, from from early on, I was dealing with differences and, um, you know, she started right away talking about this great reckoning, you know, that's going on right now about, you know, race and inclusion and equity, but in our country, 
But you know, what a story. I mean, she's a reporter, Northeastern University, co-op school trained, you know, doing background checks with the governor's office, you know, a, a field tested journalist and then a, you know, public health communicator. So, and then Gallup. Oh, and by the way, she, and Gallup, sorry. And she neglected to mention that she ran communications for Oakland Unified School District. Oh. Now there's an easy job. Wow. Wow. Yes. So she's been been tested. So I loved how you actually asked her, given all of that range of experiences, how is that coming to you in your work? How are you bringing that with you? And I mean, I can take you through it, but I'm just curious, what, what, how did, how did her response to that land for you? Because I thought it was really, again, we keep using the phrase master's class, but I feel like it was a, a master's class for somebody who's making their way in this field of how all these different experiences that we're having as unlikely as they might seem, they all add up to the whole being greater, greater than some of the parts, if we can draw on them, you know, and, and frankly, as she, as she was talking about, if we could even remember what we've learned, right? Because there's so many <laughs> things we learned that we forget along the way. But how did that land for you? I just love that whole reflection and self-reflection that she gave us through that part of, the, of your discussion. Well, it's a reminder, of course, that the work that we do as storytellers and strategists draws upon a as broad an array of experiences and talents and all that other stuff as any job I can think of almost, and that there is no straight line to this job. And she has worked in survey research and she's worked in politics and she did background checks. <laughs> so she understands, I mean, she kind of understands the sensitivity of, of public life, all of those things. There is no one recipe for success in this field. And what I would say to folks out there who are interested in in social change, I would tell them that social change communication is a great way in because mm. I, I honestly believe that it is a a meritocracy or it is something a version of a meritocracy in that folks who can distill or explain or communicate the vast kinds of experiences that we have as people do great. Yeah. And they they move quickly in the field and they achieve great things. And, and she's a perfect example of that because that's because there is no straight way into this job. And the other thing that I would say is if you're a foundation president out there or a senior whatever and you're hiring a communications person, remember that and take that into account that the full the full array of experience can be amazingly valuable to yeah. your team. So that's just a little HR plug out, out there. But her, her story is, is a great one. It's exemplary, and but by no means um, normal. Well, and she changed your life forever because when she said that your podcast has been a beacon to me and your guests have been calling to me through your interviews, I'm like, <laughs> we're never, ever going to stop doing this oh. podcast now. We're doing this for the rest of time. That was just... I, Oh, it's, but now I got to send her a check. Well, once again, she says it better than we could, right? But this, I, I agree. These guests have been a beacon for me too. I do have to do this divert this little bit. Because every guest who sends says I'm a beacon, I got to send them a check for ten dollars. <laughs> there you go. That's well, I think we really need to explore. Um, are you sitting in your mother's closet? And are you still sitting right. in your mother's closet? And actually, haven't you always been sitting in your mother's closet while we've been doing this I mean, podcast? Please. I'm, <laughs> I've spent enough money on therapy to know that that is not a fair question. Well, that is a, well, that is a I, set up question. The setting. Oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, I managed to extricate myself from my mother's closet uh, and returned to the Bay Area, but I was there long enough to wish her a happy birthday and get the great big birthday post COVID. We both got vaxxed hug. Mm, congratulations. And then I, of course, you know, did household services. Like I put together a table and a little bit of gardening and very, mm. a lot of cooking. Hey, get your vaccines so you can hug the people you love. That's a, Seriously. there you go. There's your motto. But that was great. My mom's don't tell anybody 87. Oh, that's just congratulations. That's Lives awesome. alone still works. So it must have been the setting because you threw some elbows. It, it came in uh -oh. very subtly. You, elbows? you said you love journalists in our field. Half of them do great work. Okay. I, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, so I never, <laughs> I never got a chance to finish my thought. Yeah. 
<laughs> which is half of them come in and they want to get both sides of the story mm. uh, because <laughs> they are journalists through and through. And they and what I like, I don't care about the other side of the story. Right. I want to advocate for my side of the story. Right. And if you really want to get both sides of the story, you shouldn't have left journalism because it's not like it's not that it, in many of the areas that we're working in the other side of the story, forgive me, is wrong. Yeah. If you're talking about there's two sides to whether climate change is a problem and whether it's caused by you know, no, 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 there's not two sides to that. There's two sides on how you solve the problem. But if you don't stipulate to the problem, then how are we what what kind of conversation are we having? Or there's two sides to, you know, the way, you know, in 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 uh that there was a uh, you know good people on both sides of of the ra- yeah, <laughs> of like right. race protests like no no yeah. no 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 you yeah. stop saying that that is not true yeah. so th- in that sense if if you are going to come at a advocacy position from a place where you used to have to get both both sides whatever that means and I think journalism sometimes bends over backwards mm-hmm. to find some alternative point of view whether or not there's a good reason to do so then this isn't the job for you and so that's so half of the journalists come in and they get frustrated because they want to they, they they it's a different job than they expected yeah I love journalists well, it, it, they're great they're smart they, they write fast they you know all that stuff uh, so it's that that was the point I, I didn't get a chance to make. But thank you for pointing that out, Kirk, because you're right. It needed some explanation. No, I'm glad you got a chance to clarify. And I will say the times I've seen that play out, it does give me, even though it can be frustrating because it can, as you mentioned, be in conflict with kind of our work as persuasion oriented advocates, that concept of journalism as a true profession. You know, this is my profession, the ability to see the full story and hold it completely. And I have to write to that level. It's really interesting seeing people kind of struggle with that sometimes, you know, when they're when they're when they come to this advocacy work. So I'm glad you got a chance to to, to, yeah. to clarify. I, I do. I do. There was a fuller story. Yeah, there. So I, I wasn't just being a schmo. You know, it's interesting because a news story, they call it a story, right? Mm. It's a story because we're trying to tell a, sto- a story and people respond to stories and storytelling is the thing and story, right. story, story. Yeah. And I agree. And that's why journalists can, you know, great journalists can be amazingly good advocates and great. They can be great foundation communications people as long as they don't mind watching the other people play because, you know, we just write about the people who do stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's the flip side of it is that some journalists, they throw off the, you know, their cloak of objectivity and they want to be an advocate and and if they go to work for a foundation they find out that we're just giving the money to the people who do all that stuff a Mm. lot of the time and that can be frustrating so So we have to bring valerie's story to the san francisco foundation where she's been the past year and i think there's two big chunks of this based on the conversation you had and the first that i can't resist kind of just asking about was her reflection on starting work there in it. You know, you start during a pandemic. It sounds like she in a year has been in the office maybe once, if I heard One that time. correctly. No, no, but just in the interview time. Oh, Since she's gotten the job, she has yet. Hasn't been there in one I time. told her about her. She has a very nice office. <laughs> That's right. She never gets to sit in it. So there's a couple of things. One, you know, what was it like to go through a hiring process through a pandemic, let alone, you know, getting someone oriented to the role. But also she mentions, I've learned how to operate in ambiguity. And it was so interesting to hear her say that because I've heard you say that before about mm-hmm. working in philanthropy that, you know, you really learned this part about just being in ambiguity and operating in ambiguity. And can you talk a little bit about that? You know, just like what that experience is like, how people navigate their way through it. And then how did you do any of this given the pandemic? Because if, if she started in April, you must have been trying to go through this process when things were first being shut down, I would imagine. But Yeah, we thought, I mean, we closed the office for two weeks <laughs> from March something to April, you know, on March 15th, April 1st or something like that. We were like, oh, we've, you know, at least two weeks. And then, of course, you know, it was longer than that. And we are all we are all just figuring out how to live our lives and yeah. under under what rules. And I mean, you're starting a new job and start starting a job that has this kind of social effect. That's that's really hard. And I think the only thing you can do, and I'm sure anybody listening is who's also probably working remotely, probably not doesn't know what's going to happen next week or the next month or the month after that, whether we, you know, we have reached our crescendo and are on our way back to normal life, whether we're about ready to have another spike, who knows? 
that the best that we can do is to be responsive, to listen carefully, to keep our eyes open, to be willing to change, flexible, all that stuff. Mm. And she, she, Valerie's done that in spades, which is why she's so effective. And I think that we have all seen people who are good at that and they are able to get things done and make a difference. And for folks who have a challenge with that, they have to find ways within their own sense of wanting to be regimented. And there's folks like that who are not me and really effective and great people that I'm sure this is a very, very challenging time, but it is, it is, uh, is a hard, you know, this is, I always say that being the head of a head of communications at a community foundation is like the, you know, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. It's like the Marines <laughs> and it's, it's not easy. There are a million things happening. And when you are working on racial equity, racial equity and economic inclusion right now Mm. in this context at this moment it is extremely challenging Mm. and when you don't have the opportunity to sit with people and to really listen and to be in the same room and to take the temperature of how people feel and what they're doing and this includes grantees it includes other funders and it certainly includes your colleagues at the foundation it's it's five times more difficult. Mm. It's it's a it's a t- hard job on the best day, and on the worst day, it seems sometimes damn near impossible. Well, include people into the scale because not everybody who listened to us may know, but include people into the scale of the San Francisco Foundation's touch on this because in terms of the size of their enterprise, you know, the level at which they operate in terms of a, being a grant maker. Um, on their own, what, you know, what scale are we talking about? How big is the San Francisco Foundation relative to the whole community foundation landscape in the United States? Uh, it's one of the top, certainly one of the top 10 mm-hmm. community foundations by endowment. And it has a reasonably good size endowment, which is to say that they have money to make grants on their own outside of the donor advised funds and other types of funds that community foundations hold. The other, one of the other things that the, San Francisco Foundation is doing is is partnering with donors who care about racial equity and this type of work to make grants in partnership so the money of each goes twice as far. Mm-hmm. That part is also pretty new and unusual for community foundations, many of which serve as a repository for philanthropic opportunities. So a donor will start a fund and then they will allocate the money through their fund out into the community at the donor's own behest. And that that has a value, of course. Uh, But what some community foundations are starting to do is to identify their own strategies and partner with donors, bringing them in the door for this very reason, because they have expertise, they have program staff, who really understand about how to support the community. So if someone comes in and says, I really care about homelessness, for example, how should I, can you help me think through a strategy for addressing some part of the challenge? And then you have professionals who will sit down and help you think that through as a donor. So so that that's that's what the San Francisco Foundation is doing. And, and they also have a voice. Mm-hmm. So they have their own kind of community uh, of you know, presence and their CEO Fred Blackwell, who has become quite a powerful voice in in the San Francisco Bay Area for advancing equity. They they use that voice as well. So it's it's an advocacy organization, it's a fundraising organization, and a grant making organization. Uh, so it it the opportunities there I find are really really powerful and very exciting. I think community foundation work is some of the most interesting and, and potentially beneficial work that you can do in the in the philanthropy world understanding that there are not that many community foundations with the kind of money that say a gates foundation or a ford foundation or hewlett or some of those others can can distribute but if you're thinking about putting money into your community a a specific you know geographic area that you know really well that's a that's a great opportunity and these big foundations are starting to fund community foundations mm. to do just that because they have that kind of expertise. And that's, I, I think, a, a great development in philanthropy that a, 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 you know, a large international foundation will realize that the expertise in solving local or, or addressing local yep. challenges and opportunities lies in these institutions. 
It's so exciting. And, you know, you think of the skill of both the opportunity, but also the challenge in front of the San Francisco Foundation. It makes perfect sense why you would need somebody with the gifts of somebody like a Valerie to bridge all those different roles, you know, because there's so many different parts. And, and as you were talking with her, it really made me want to ask you about this part, right? How as a community foundation, do you develop your own point of view and then get to act in it? So before we conclude, we really have to, this, this reflection that Valerie gave us here about at the 20 minute mark in the, in the interview, just what this process has been like for her for this past year. And I so appreciate it. I listened, I full disclosure, I listened to that section twice. I will listen to it again. I encourage anybody to listen to it multiple times because it's such a personal reflection. Here's a leader in one of the seminal institutions doing this seminal work. They've had racial equity and economic inclusion as their North Star since 2016. You know, Valerie stepping up to the opportunity in this moment of racial reckoning that she's describing. And she starts with sharing how heavy this has been for her and the grief and you know, she and Fred working on blog posts and just needed to take a break from time to time. And I have to say, getting that glimpse into the personal journey of somebody who, yes, is going to be a leader. And she talks about all the tactical work she's thinking about, you know, the different ways, the collateral, the different ways to bring this story forward. But just that personal journey, I mean, isn't that, there's just such a, what is it, thank you or appreciate you or, you know, yeah, thank you. I don't know. It's just, just what do you say about that? that personal quality that she's having to bring to this work as she's going through it because it's so heavy. It's so sad. And even, even the personal sense of reflection she's doing around the choices she's made in her life. It was just, I have to tell you, I, 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 that section is worth um, listening and digesting and, and just reflecting on. I feel like I thought it was a really, really cool part of your whole conversation. Well, if this has been a really hard year and especially for people of color who have and especially for people of color working in this in this work who you have to do the day job and process the emotions and the experience and I don't I you know I'm I'm not a person of color I I can't know what that feels like but all I can say is that I deeply admire Valerie and the many colleagues that I have worked with over the last couple of years, last year in particular, who uh, I know have have had to deal with that, and yeah. and and it's and it's not easy, and I feel kind of almost powerless to offer any support other than to be a friend and a colleague and to try and just be there, and that's that's about all I can say. It's, <laughs> But I, I, and, and to admire the people who are, are just, I just really, really cherish Valerie's one of them. Well, look, she, she's, she's stepping up to be the shape for the narrative. She talked about that. And, uh, I know exactly where this goes. This is a classic, no good deed goes unpunished moment because I like the current team. That's awesome. But it's in her future. White House press secretary. Can you see Valerie good? <laughs> just sitting at the front of the room, answering the questions, directing the conversation in this notion of shape of the narrative. This is where we need. Uh, the experience, the voice, the stature, the tenure. So we're, we're, I, I, I'm putting it in the calendar. I'll be checking All back. Right. I'll be checking back. So the last thing before we go, transformative solidarity, transformative solidarity. That was such an interesting part of the conversation that you got to at the end, you know, creating this principle of centering black and indigenous people in the work at the San Francisco foundation, and then thinking through what that yeah. means, man, I can't wait to learn more about that. Because even that, even that process of putting, pairing those words, transformative solidarity, you know, whatever group you help, it helps lift us all. It, it really, it's funny. It made me think about we, the, the benefits of clean air. You know, we talk about it all the time. Clean air helps everybody. And it's like, there's just this thing about cleaning the air and understanding the historical part of this and, and, and just, just all the, the roots of this systemic and persistent racism and what it's meant. Um, I don't know. It just feels like there's some really, really powerful work ahead from the San Francisco Foundation. That's really exciting to hear about. Yeah, I, I, to, I totally agree. It was, it was a great way of helping me think through how you shape a narrative and how you build upon it and how it benefits our society. We will all just be better as, as, and we are, I think we are better as we continue to have these conversations. They have to be had and we have to work and we have to work as hard as we possibly can. And, 
you know, like again, I'm glad you're out there, Val, yeah. doing this stuff. That's right. It's amazing. That's right. Well, we get it. It's an enormous responsibility. It's not just professional, it's personal. You're exhausted, but we're excited. We want you to show up, keep doing the work. It is so great to see you in here. And, and Eric, just what a treat. That was really, really great to hear from Valerie. Well, that was fun. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time. And that was, uh, let's hear it. And that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show. And that includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Communications Network, the Lumina Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments. Thank you, thank you. And check out the Heinz Endowment, their terrific podcast, We Can Be. That's hosted by Grant Oliphant, and you can find it at heinz.org slash podcast. We would certainly like to thank today's guest, and of course, all of you, and thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> no, no, thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Till next time. Let's hear it. <laughs>